0: Hi, my name's Noreen Jamil and this is
1: Emily Kate Stevens.
0: Both of us have been diagnosed with long COVID.
1: And we've created this podcast dedicated to the condition. Welcome to the Long COVID sessions. How was your week, Noreen?
0: My week it was okay. Nothing out of the ordinary, but my palpitations have come back. And my weird ear thing has come back. And my tolerance has gone down. So I think that my having COVID in the new year is starting to manifest. Starting to come back now. Yeah, because we thought this might happen, didn't we? Yeah. I had gotten rid of the palpitations. I can live with tachycardia because you can sit down and bring your heart rate down. It's the palpitations that are bloody scary. And they've come back the last couple of days. And I think it's because of the COVID.
1: How long is it since you had COVID now? About two, three weeks. I mean, I don't even know what date it is anymore.
0: I think I was positive the f- end of December 1st, 1st of January. It was a welcome to the 2022. So
1: three weeks and you're sort of feeling your long COVID symptoms coming back now.
0: Yes. The, the ones that I was really uncomfortable with and was glad that I got rid of, they've come back. Uh, Again, I say this because I said it last week, but my experience of COVID again was just very mild, super mild, even milder than the first time I had it. Really? But yours wasn't, was it? How was your week? Well, I had COVID. Um, It wasn't
1: worse than the first time. It was similar to the first time, but I didn't have the kind of crushing chest that I had the first time. So it didn't have that fear that I couldn't breathe that I had first time around. Um, but I had high fever and I still feel so tired. I can't stay awake. I actually have narcolepsy now and I've been tired for two years. Like I have been fatigued for two years, but this is another level of tiredness.
0: Is this, this similar to some of our friends on our long COVID cohort? That say they can't get out of bed some days. Literally, we've been able to always kind of manage to do things. Yeah, but yeah. Have you, got I, I, the pro- have you got the proper fatigue now?
1: I can't. I can't get out of bed half the time. The kids were back in school today, so I had to get up and take the kids to school. But it's like my brain is being twisted. I am so tired. But I interestingly don't have the insomnia that I had first time right, round. Uh, almost immediately, I had COVID like that time. I. Had insomnia, so I was shattered. But I couldn't sleep. I, I, however much I tried, I couldn't get any prolonged amount of sleep. This time, I'm sleeping sixteen hours a day, and I don't have that insomnia. So, fingers crossed that provides a better recovery than than last
0: time. Well, my insomnia is back with a vengeance. I slept an hour last night. Watched about eight episodes of Miranda. Oh God, back on that. I know. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> it was- it's not fun. I slept and then I was up and I just felt awful. So I had a couple of paracetamol and watched Miranda. I had an hour's sleep and then had to get up for the kids.
1: Yeah, that's, that's not good. And I think this time around, I'm so much more aware of how detrimental the lack of sleep and insomnia is. And I do wonder if our symptoms are so compounded by this constant, this prolonged lack of sleep.
0: You're sleeping and you're still tired you see yeah so, uh, it doesn't it's the puzzle pieces are all kind of jagged and they don't really fit together no, which I find super annoying because I like things to be logical
1: yeah, but the more people I speak to, the more it does feel like we've got to fix all of these pieces individually. I don't think that there is going to be any magic bullet for this and it it does feel like we have to fix each of these little things so getting our sleep or well, somehow getting less tired to be able to allow our body's recovery.
0: There are all these great theories about what's going on, but the person we spoke to this week definitely has this kind of holistic view of individual things that are going wrong with us that need to be fixed.
1: Yeah. So we spoke to Dr. Paul Jenkins, who's an endocrinologist, and uh, he runs the London Endocrine Centre. And it's exactly that. He sort of looks at each, obviously specifically related to hormones for him, but he looks at each of these pieces and works out how we fix the levels of each. And he's had success. That's the thing. He said that people are getting better.
0: And I'm sure it's true. But I really think it depends on your length of illness and your severity. So if you're kind of middling along you have a better chance of recovery than someone who's really suffering just take longer
1: but the the people that we have spoken to who have recovered they all seem to have done it with time don't they and really taking it back to this pacing and fixing any you know
0: it really seems to be about pacing but having said that you are almost two years into this i'm 13 months into this So time does seem to kind of span out in front of us.
1: Yeah. I've decided that I'm not having long COVID
0: anymore. Okay. Very good. Well done.
1: So I decided that that was genuinely going to clear my system of the long COVID and any residue or whatever I've got in my body. So if the mind does have control over the body, I I am now recovering.
0: Well done. Well, listen, if anyone can think their way out of it, it's going to be you.
1: We understand you are both an expert in hormones, but you have also set up a long COVID clinic. So can we start right at the very beginning and you tell us why your expertise led you to working with long COVID?
2: So as an endocrinologist, I have seen many, many patients who come to me complaining of fatigue and that they are tired, they have all of the cognitive issues, and uh, the patients often think that it's due to their thyroid gland or adrenal gland dysfunction or hormone abnormality. And so over the years, I've seen them and you've just learned the questions that people ask, um, and then being able to tell them that, yes, their thyroid gland or adrenal gland is normal, but they still have the symptoms. So then I've had to investigate why they would have the symptoms and it's just become increasingly apparent experience of post-viral fatigue and that's so i've been seeing patients with post-viral fatigue for 20 plus years um, and then that has morphed into long covid because long covid is actually just another version of post-viral fatigue it's just a lot of the doctors who saw patients with acute covid and so Um, and then they saw the same doctors for the ongoing symptoms, have never really seen patients with post-viral fatigue. Because those doctors are either ITU doctors or their chest physicians, um, and so they haven't seen the the patients that I have.
0: So what's the mechanism in post-viral fatigue to create the the fatigue if it's not the thyroid or the adrenal gland?
2: We wish we knew.
0: Right. (laughs) That's
2: the trouble, and that's one of the frustrating things about it is it's a very, very real illness. It's a devastating illness to patients who have it. um, But we still don't fully understand all of the mechanisms by which it happens. Some of it is undoubtedly changes in the central neurotransmitters. So serotonin, maybe dopamine, that increase your uh, perception of fatigue. But some of it is also likely to be mitochondrial dysfunction. Mitochondria are the tiny bits within our cells that generate our energy and they just probably just don't work as well. So the question why that should be the case, we don't know. It's likely to be some form of disordered immune response. Your body reacts against these infections, of which uh, COVID is one of them, and they're usually viral infections, and you get this sort of aberrant, disordered immune response. That then results in the dysfunction of the uh, mitochondria.
1: And what have you observed from a hormonal perspective? In uh, I don't know if it relates to all of your post-viral fatigue cases, but specifically in in COVID, because what we've sort of I think read feel is that long COVID has an impact on the hormones, and hormones seem to have an impact. On long COVID. So there's this sort of feedback loop. Can you tell us about your observations of that?
2: Oh, I think that sums it up really well. The two are interactive. Yes. Yeah? So you know, I think, almost going back to it, the symptoms are often very similar. You know, the symptoms of long COVID and many of the symptoms, predominantly the fatigue, the cognitive impairment, the brain fog, those are common. Uh, to both long COVID or post-viral fatigue, but also many endocrine abnormalities or disorders of the endocrine system. So one of the challenges, and as an endocrinologist, is trying to tease out what is contributing to you as a patient and your symptoms. Yeah. Having said that, equally as you say, COVID and some other viral illnesses can influence the endocrine system and make it worse. The endocrine system can make the symptoms of COVID much worse. So what you need to, though, as an ecologist, go through the different systems um, and you know uh, in- investigate them properly. So the biggest and one of the most common is the thyroid, and having an underactive thyroid. Well, our thyroid gland is here, the front of our neck, a butterfly-shaped gland. It makes two hormones: one called thyroxine or T4, and another one called T3. They regulate our body's overall metabolism, a little bit like the old-fashioned choke on a car engine. So having an underactive thyroid would be like trying to start your car on the winter morning without a choke. Everything is sluggish. It's not firing properly. You don't feel so good. Very similar to the patients with long COVID. We need to make sure that the thyroid gland is working completely normal. That's one of the essential, the first requisites, not least because it's relatively easy to fix. So what I want to do as an endocrinologist is address all of those issues, which can be easily fixed. And then I can say to the patient, look, I know now your thyroid is perfect, your adrenals are perfect. We can take them out of the equation. And whatever symptoms you've got left are not due to that. And we can just focus on managing the long COVID. So I think with the thyroid, you need to, you know, often doctors, certainly in primary care, don't investigate it as properly as it should be. Be done all fully. So you need to measure all of the hormones, the T4, the T3, and the controlling hormone from the master gland, of the pituitary, just a tiny gland at the base of your brain, which is unimaginably called the thyroid stimulating hormone. And if you measure all of those, then you've got a proper assessment of the thyroid and we can address it. We now know that in a reasonably high proportion of patients with viral illness, and especially or COVID, that results in inflammation of the thyroid gland, and it doesn't work so well. So we do need to investigate that.
1: So that is potentially one of the things that is affected by, by viral illnesses.
2: Absolutely. So the viral itself, the viruses can cause inflammation of your thyroid, which is called a thyroiditis. And so you can initially get sort of an almost a burst of thyroid activity, because the thyroid gland, which stores a lot of hormone, becomes initially leaky, and so it releases all of the hormone into the body. So you get over activity of your thyroid, and then it starts to go down, and your levels then fall. So you do need absolutely that to be um, addressed, and it's, I mean it is relatively easy to do if you, if you have experience of it. And, and measuring, assessing both your thyroid, the T4 and the T3 levels, because sometimes patients, you know, it's controversial in the UK but not in the continent have normal t4 levels and low t3 and so you've got to address both and you often have a marked improvement if you get both of those right okay so I think that that's a that's the first thing the second thing is the adrenal glands yes so adrenal glands two little glands located just above our kidneys they make our body's probably most important hormone called cortisol They make a variety of hormones we can discuss, but the most important is cortisol. And we need cortisol to survive. Without cortisol, uh, our body just goes into meltdown. And so if you have low levels of cortisol, you have profound fatigue, you have dizziness, you just, your body won't respond to stress when you're unwell. Right. Occasionally, your uh, viral illnesses can cause uh, inflammation also of the adrenal glands.
1: And does that affect your cortisol and your adrenaline? Well,
2: adrenaline is a different one. The, the three hormones your adrenal glands make is adrenaline, is cortisol, and one that regulates our salt and water metabolism of cortisol. Okay. Or so um, for the cor- for the cortisol, people often complain of adrenal fatigue or they've read about adrenal fatigue. It's quite a popular thing. It's actually quite a rare Uh, disorder but one absolutely essential to exclude or determine because if you do have it it can be fatal right it's called called addison's disease
1: and have you seen it in in long covid
2: yes you don't necessarily see the acute very severe uh cortisol deficiency which is great news but a number of patients seem to have a blunted response of cortisol secretion especially first thing in the morning First thing in the morning is often when patients' symptoms are worse. Where they feel sluggish, particularly first thing in the morning, and then it picks up a little bit during the day. And in those patients, I have had uh, benefit from giving them a, you know, an additional cortisol, lowish dose cortisol. You, we have to always be very careful giving uh, too much cortisol, which is a form of steroid hormone, because otherwise it can sort of slightly switch off your body's normal functioning. But a little bit of cortisol can often give people quite a boost in the morning, and then they can uh, function better throughout the day. So I think that's that's the other hormone that really um, needs addressing. Um, The other hormone is, which is quite topical in in men, is testosterone, women, oestrogen. So in men, as we get slightly wiser in years, testosterone levels can trickle down. And low testosterone in men, uh, can certainly exacerbate fatigue, brain fog, just feeling a bit flat and so it's really important in my view to make sure that that is uh, adequate and if at all low you can easily replace testosterone in men now either by depot injections every few weeks or I tend to prefer a gel which is just a clear gel you just rub on the chest every morning and that can improve uh, people's symptoms quite a bit. In women, there's quite a bit of work showing the role of oestrogen and and COVID. And many uh, women with long COVID find that their symptoms are worse in the second half of their cycle.
1: Yeah, there does seem to be a tie, doesn't there, between the hormonal changes and and fluctuations and the long COVID symptoms.
2: Yeah, there's not so much uh, research on it, but clinically and anecdotally, you see this a lot, or I hear this a lot. So if that's a real issue, then you can give oestrogen. So I think for, for women who have noticed there's a change in their uh, symptoms or they get worse in the second half of their cycle, then you know one pragmatic way of overcoming that is to put them on some oestrogen. And in younger women, the oestrogen-containing estrogen, uh, pill at the lowest dose possible. And that will give you a more sustained level of oestrogen throughout and avoid the uh, drop in oestrogen after or in the second half of the cycle, which might worsen symptoms.
1: And is that classified that um, introduction of oestrogen? Is that classified as HRT?
2: Uh, well, it is a form of HRT. Yes, HRT, uh, classical HRT after the menopause is giving you a low dose of oestrogen that is exactly mimicking what your ovaries would normally be making. We'd be doing the levels. So the H, the hormone replacement therapy concept of pill is a higher dose of estrogen which is there throughout the whole cycle okay but you, you we can try you can try you know a lower dose it depends on women their fertility their wish for conceiving and the, the symptoms and their age as to what combination you'd use
1: and these um, the estrogen levels the testosterone levels are things that can be determined with with a simple test absolutely and therefore addressed and and it's just a, again one of those extra layers of things that you do to try and rule out any other causes of our symptoms
2: and that exactly and to try and offer treatment symptomatic relief
1: if that that hormone imbalance has been caused by the long covid you, are you finding that addressing that is actually alleviating symptoms of long covid in yes. certain sufferers
2: yes. really yeah, very much. So it may not alleviate completely. Yeah. But it will certainly can uh, help.
1: Okay. What about in that same sort of area of hormones, what about progesterone? Because I have been told that I have low progesterone now. I didn't have it previously. I have had a massive shift in my cycle. I've had I've had big changes. Uh, to my period since I got long COVID or since I got COVID. And I have been told that I have been left with low progesterone. And in conversations with someone, um, I was told that the body struggles to create progesterone when it is having too much adrenaline produced. Is that a concept that you would agree with?
2: I'm not sure of that. No.
1: Okay. I mean, our body
2: makes adrenaline in any times of stress. It's our fight or flight response. And so that doesn't really affect progesterone levels, but it will definitely inter- cause a lot of the symptoms. Okay. And it's very common in long COVID and post viral fatigue for people to feel very wired and increased anxiety and sometimes resulting in panic attacks. I see that very, very commonly. And that's due to generalized Hyperactivation of the, we call it the adrenergic system, the fight or flight uh, response.
0: Yes, for a few months I would wake up in the morning with this surge of adrenaline, it was like a fight or flight, it was just on me waking up. Um,
2: Some people, it's, I mean it can be devastating because you've, <laughs> it's very good in the short term, because if you're with a stressful situation, you need that. That's what it's there for, to make you hyper ready to move or to attack or to run away. But if you're there all the time, you know, and you, it's like you're having a constant infusion of double espressos, it's a very unpleasant feeling. Because double exp- coffee works the same way it causes adrenaline response. Um, so you feel it's pretty unpleasant and that will stop you sleeping. And it's a, insomnia is a very, very characteristic feature of COVID, long COVID.
1: Can you tell us a little more about some of the symptoms that you could potentially attribute, therefore, to um, this adrenaline surge?
2: Really, it is the well, the changes in mood and, or the, especially the anxiety or the hyper anxiety, which can be, you know, said really overwhelming for people who are otherwise completely previously pretty chilled, balanced people. Mm. Yeah. One of the issues from that is that because many doctors don't understand long COVID. Or post vowel, the immediate, I'm afraid, common reaction of doctors is to then put it back on the patient and say, "Oh, it's you. You've got the problem. You're just anxious, or, or worse, you're just depressed."
0: Yeah. What we're hearing,
1: uh, what we're hearing a lot, and I've been told it by doctors.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm afraid, medical doctors, if they don't understand something, it's a natural reaction is rather than putting their hand up and say, "Look, I really don't fully understand everything that's going on." Is just no put the blame on you or the patient saying, yeah, you're actually, you're the issue. I'm okay. And it's completely wrong. The response, that mental changes, either anxiety or low mood is, in my experience, almost always a result of the disease causing it. And the changes in either these adrenaline and or serotonin um, and or dopamine within the brain. For mechanisms, again, we don't fully understand it, but, you know, it, uh, it undoubtedly is the cause. One thing that seems to be very helpful to patients um, is sunlight. Yeah? It relieves the symptoms. Now, it's not vitamin D because we can come on to vitamin D because every virtually 95% of people with post viral fatigue and or long COVID have had low vitamin D levels. Yeah? And they are so easily treatable. Albeit at much higher doses than the government recommendations. Mm. The average dose you know the standard, or the standard it, daily recommended dose is something like 400 units of vitamin d you need in general two to four thousand yeah you know, i take five thousand a day i know i need it i check my blood levels but they're only in the mid normal range so we need much much more vitamin d
0: we take about four or five thousand as well don't we emily yeah Just simply by talking to people talking to other doctors who say no because you unless you ask the question okay what's the dosage they just say go take vitamin d They don't tell you how much you need
2: it's much higher than we need and because we can measure it yeah it's so easy you know, a you need a massive dose to overdose but because you measure it you can know what you can titrate the dose that you need but vitamin d is so critical in our immune response in our neurocognitive response our muscular response as well as protection against so many other diseases heart disease diabetes many cancers so why are we not all being told strongly to apply vitamin D.
1: But but when you say um one thing that can affect it is is sunlight, that's is interesting to Noreen and I, because both of us kept saying when we went on holiday, obviously you on holiday so therefore you should theoretically, although I don't think but either of us had particularly relaxing holidays, you should theor- theoretically have the benefits of being on holiday. Both of us said in the summer that we felt huge benefit from being in the sun and we also felt that there was possibly less awareness of long covid in places where it's it's sunny is are there any figures to suggest that the the that actually that level of sunshine can reduce long covid or has caused less instances of long covid
2: uh no not that i'm aware of but i'd be interested to if there were any studies But it's just based on speaking to literally hundreds, if not thousands, of patients with this condition over the years, and you get to feel. And this is why sometimes academic researchers uh, need to perhaps listen more to clinicians and to patients who are involved with the disease all the time. And if you repeatedly hear from your patients, time after time, that, oh, I feel better in the sun, then you have to, you know, you might originally. Okay, being cynical, you might initially say, oh, well, I don't know, we all feel better in the sun. But if, you know, all the time that you're hearing this, you've got to say, well, this is a real finding. There must be something in it. So then you think, well, what could it be? And it's undoubtedly that patients, you know, especially in winter, feel better in the sun. And many of my patients, prior to the current travel restrictions, would go away to, say, the Canaries for one or two weeks in in this winter, where the sunshine is perfect because it's not overly strong they can sit out in the sun and they feel and as long as you're relaxed they feel you know much better you know that does say you know with the caveat of that if you are going to do that physical activity and emotional activity is massively draining in long covid and so when they're traveling you've got to advise patients to do it very slowly gently not the usual fight in an airport. Which because otherwise they spend the first two, three days recovering on holiday before they can even uh, feel the benefit. Um, yeah. So emotional stress is the biggest drain on people's battery, in my experience, in long COVID. So, I, again, I don't know why, but it really is. And and then when you speak to patients, they say, yes, I absolutely know, know this. If I get stressed, it's, it's bad news. So...
0: Drawing on your your 20 years experience of treating people with post viral, have you been able, able to transfer some of the treatments to people with long COVID, and have you had much success with anything in particular?
2: I think it's a combination, as I said, of firstly the endocrine, so sort out your, all your endocrine issues if there are any. Certainly, sort out the vitamin D level and get your levels into the high normal. Similarly, vitamin B's. The B6, B12 are important in the immune function, so they're easy to fix.
0: What sort of levels are you talking, or is it that individual?
2: You can't have too much, in my mind, so get your levels a high-strength supplement, get your levels into the very high or even above the normal range of those. Sometimes the magnesium can help people quite a bit in terms of sleep, around half of individuals. The evidence becomes more less clear in my mind, but some things such as CQ10, q 10 some patients find benefit, um, You know, those are becoming less clear in my mind. The real strategy for me uh, for treating patients with COVID is for them to understand what the disease is and how we're going to get better.
1: So could you tell us how you explain to patients what the disease is?
2: In essence, from my point of view, basically their battery life is markedly reduced, their battery charge. And analogous to your phone, they, they start the day with their battery 30, 40% charge, could be much less than that. And therefore you have to look at all of your energy expenditure within a 24 hour period and try and reduce it to within your personal battery allowance. And that is a combination of all of your physical activity, your mental cognitive activity, and your emotional activity. So a lot of patients, and this is often is a disease of very high achieving people. So they're used to running at a, literally running, but working, running at a very high pace, high pace professionals. We're used to juggling working long hours, trying to fit in the gym. There's very little given the system. It is, I'm afraid women tend to be more common than men affected.
1: And do you think that's to do with female hormones?
2: I'm not sure it could easily be.
0: Also, we're dealing with kids, so they're emotional. <laughs> and, uh... yeah.
2: It is often, you're absolutely right, in trying to also run the family and the household with that. Um, so it's, it's, it's explained to individuals that their battery life, you know, they've got to look at that. And that's the first challenge. Because often, you know, we're all taught, many of us are taught or brought up and teach our children, you know, you work hard and you reap the rewards of that. So um, being slightly sort of uh, British, you just keep going, you don't give in, you've just got to struggle on. And in many, many aspects of life, that's very uh, admirable. But in long COVID, post-viral fatigue is a complete disaster. You just cannot get through this illness by forcing your way through. And the analogy is like a, a footballer who has a severe hamstring injury and then trying to keep running and playing on that injury just makes it worse and worse.
1: So what do you think of um, people promoting the GET?
2: GET is fantastic, but on an individual level. The problem with GET is that it has been one size to try and get one size to fit all. And that just can't do because everybody is different and has different symptoms and different drains on their energy allowance. So get is a form of, in my mind, it's a very personalised, slow, graded increase in activity. Whether that be the physical or the cognitive. You know, because people are very badly affected, they can't concentrate for more than a few minutes, they can't read the paper, you know, they, it just won't go in. So therefore you've got, and if that is their primary uh, uh, issue, you know, they're highly professionals, they've got to do a lot of paperwork, cognitive activity, then that's what you might want to concentrate on. Yes, and you've got to forget all of the exercise. You know, do no exercise. You've got to learn to listen to your body and with time be very attuned of when you've done too much. Because a characteristic feature of long COVID is so-called post-exertional fatigue. And again, exertion is energy expenditure, whether it's physical or cognitive. If you do too much, you have a crash later that day or one or two days later. So you, with time, patients become much more aware of the beginnings of warning signs when they've overdone it. So you've then got to step back a level, And it's just like, again, the analogy of recovering from a, a muscle injury. You know, if you go to your physio, they would start your very, very gentle level of exercise. And then if you're able to manage that after, you know, two, three weeks, they would increase it up a very small amount. And when you're doing that, okay. And to start with, it would be it's usually pretty tough. You know, when you're doing exercise with your physio, it hurts a bit. And then for that week or two, you get used to it and then it becomes very comfortable. And then they increase the level and you increase the level. And that to my mind is what get should be. But it's a very individual one. You can't, because everybody is different. So some people could have a quite a rapid rate of increase some people, for many patients, a very small increase is too much for them. So you then got to go down a bit. You've got to then explore with them if they're not progressing. Is there anything else going on in their life that is, uh, you know, impeding their recovery or draining their energy reserves? And often you then find there's some family conflict or family stresses which they're having to deal with. Um, so it's a it's a very holistic uh, management. Uh, program and advice to patients. Um, but it's, it's not simple, you know, just get, uh, well, you do 50 meters this week, next week, going to 100 meters, fast walk, you know.
1: Yeah, I think that has been problematic for people. Could we go back and talk about something that you just touched on briefly when we were talking about the supplements and levels? And that is sleep, melatonin production, the other hormonal effects on sleep and what is happening in long COVID?
2: Sleep disturbance is almost one of the number one criteria for it, or the most commonly affected. It's a number of uh, aspects of it. Many patients may have difficulty in getting off to sleep. So they lie, they're way awake and they can't get to sleep at two, three, four in the morning. The second aspect is that when they do get to sleep, it's frequently very disturbed. And then when they get up, or are forced to get up, they can't get back to sleep again. So they're lying there sort of tossing and turning. And almost invariably, when patients finally do get up, they feel completely unrefreshed. You know, just that sleep hasn't been restorative. So with you know the analogy again of the, of the phone battery, the simple thing to my mind is that if you don't plug your phone in overnight, you're not gonna charge the batteries. So one of the first criteria is to try and help people get better sleep whatever that takes. So the first thing is if they have difficulty getting sleep, then clearly good sleep hygiene can be beneficial. You know, so no phones or screens and trying to unwind. A bit of meditation can be helpful before bed. Yes. Sometimes some over-the-counter mm-hmm. things such as NITOL can be all that's required. As always in medicine, you want the lowest uh, dose and the simplest strategy that will help. So if that's what helps, as I uh, said, magnesium seems to help around 50% of people. So if that's not sufficient, then you could try slightly stronger ones of melatonin. Are you able to see what has happened to our
1: melatonin levels or why are we having this problem with sleep? And do we need to be, is is it as simple as replacing melatonin?
2: No, melatonin can help. I'm not aware of any of the any research or findings as to what the cause of the sleep again i mean i'll hypothesize it's the adrenergic response so your adrenaline and the, the sleep centers in the brain have become um, you know, hyper activated or, or sleep center is not activated enough and the the activation system is too set too high so melatonin can certainly help with that um, and if that isn't sufficient, then eventually patients require um, low-dose uh, sleeping tablets. And again, the lower the dose that you can get that works, the better.
0: My sleep experience was uh, that I would be able to fall asleep, but wake up every 40 minutes. Yeah. So really just dreadful yes. <laughs> by the morning. Yeah. So I was unable to maintain any length of sleep yeah. for months and months.
2: And did you have any sort of uh, sleeping aid? Uh,
0: I tried melatonin, gave me, gave me headaches throughout the day, so I stopped that. I was given diazepam, um, just two milligrams. I'd cut that in half and have that, and that seemed to help with my cardiac symptoms, bizarrely. I think it lowered my anxiety. But no, nothing really. When I was in the States, I must say, um, my husband's from Washington, so we were able to get um, CBD. Okay. or to help with yep. sleep. And that, that did help over the summer. But again, I was in the sunshine for a month, so who knows?
2: The CBD can, you know, the reports and reports from patients that it can help. I find usually it's a lowest dose of Zopiclone, and then you just increase the dose as necessary. Nobody likes the ideas, especially doctors, and understandably, of prescribing benzodiazepines long-term. But in my opinion, it's the lesser of two evils. If you're really absolutely flawed and you've got no energy, then we need to address that. And as patients, in my experience, of patients, as they get better, they wean themselves off the benzodiazepines. People don't want to be on these themselves. They want to get back to where they were, which is a fully functioning, highly active uh, person. So anything that can hasten that. And if you need to use Zopiclone and then you reduce the dose after weeks to months, that's that's fine. And patients come off it.
1: Can you tell us a little about your approach as a long COVID clinic? Because I'm still waiting for my referral. 21 months into long COVID, I'm still waiting for my referral to a long COVID clinic. Uh, we, we've spoken to UCLH about their sort of MDT. Can you tell us about your approach and how you feel we need to treat long COVID patients? Um, who who you get involved with patient care?
2: I think the, the main aspect is having doctors who are more Experience and know the different manifestations and presentations of long COVID. That's the that's the real issue. The NHS is completely swamped. Yeah, it's understanding and being able to have a you know proper discussion with patients so they understand more about their disease where you're coming from. That is the biggest uh, benefit to them. You know, and being sounds awful, but actually being listened to. To, and to understand their symptoms and say, yes, these are very real symptoms, these are common symptoms, this is what I would expect, is such a relief for many, many patients who have been, you know, many, many times sadly, sort of dismissed. Yeah. Now, long COVID, and that's particularly the case for post-viral fatigue, yes, because post-viral fatigue has been dismissed as a, you know, it's either chronic fatigue and then before that was ME, both of which are, sort of have a very bad press. The one advantage of the long COVID is that it has got more uh, better public understanding and medical understanding that it's a real disease.
0: It's also the sheer numbers.
2: And the sheer numbers. And No one can deny it now. You're absolutely right. So that's, in my mind, that's a good thing.
0: Although
1: it still doesn't seem to be actually very much discussed out there, outside of our kind of echo chamber of uh, the long COVID community. Um I don't know if that reflects in, in medical circles. Certain, certainly in the government's response, it doesn't ever seem to be something that's figure, factored in when they're making their decisions.
2: No, I, I could accept that. I think the medical response is much better that people are understanding it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a thing. It's a real thing. So we just, I think the NHS is struggling with resources, not only to deal with acute COVID, and then the complica- or the impact on acute resources, but long COVID, they pay lip service to it. You know, some of the long COVID clinics, UCLH are fantastic, but they're utterly drowning in patient referrals. Yeah. I think they maybe you can sometimes make it a little bit overly complicated by having too many people involved because each of those people has a finite number that they can see. Yeah. And so if you're getting the physician involved, you're getting the physiotherapist involved, an exercise person, an occupational therapist, there's just too many
1: people. And, you know, it's also so draining if you've got long COVID to have to deal with all of even sort of organising, getting to the GP appointment. If you're having a bad day, it can be difficult.
2: That's exactly so, right. So you've got to keep it relatively simple. And it's and more about like educating the patients, you know, to do it you know, to, to try uh, the steps that they can themselves.
1: Are there any um, other big endocrine areas that we have not yet discussed which uh, are either impacted by or impact long COVID?
2: I suppose one other area which is quite common often this is a control of blood sugar. Yeah. So actually a lot of patients with long COVID post-war have what we would describe a slump in the late morning or mid-afternoon. Right. Two to three hours after eating, where their fatigue gets particularly worse. If um, you're very, very sleepy, uh, brain fog is worse. And actually, that's often due to their blood sugar level falling, precipitously falling. we And we call that the medical term is reactive hypoglycemia. So they've often had some carbs for lunch, you know, baked potato or a sandwich, and their body's response to that has become a bit disordered. And so in response to having any carbohydrates, your body releases insulin. But if your body makes too much insulin, which seems to happen in this condition, then two to three hours after eating, the insulin kicks in too much and your blood sugar plummets.
1: And is that somehow related to diabetes?
2: No, no. Diabetes is another aspect, it's, but it's related to the pancreas and insulin secretion. And the insulin. The easiest way of treating that is just education and you don't have carbs for lunch. So if you don't have the carbs, your body doesn't have to make the insulin, and so you, you can prevent that. And if you do get bad symptoms, then you just have something sweet to eat, something a, a biscuit or um, a, a bit of chocolate, a bit of fruit, and your sugar comes up and you can treat that very easily. So I think that occurs in around, seems to go around 50% of people. Okay. Um, and the other one, which is a, a different type of hormonal abnormality, is the blood pressure regulation, and people get the dizziness on standing.
1: Okay. Postural yes. hypertension, which which is which is put down to pots, and and it, um, can you e- explain that from a hormonal level? Well, a part
2: of that is you're exactly the pots is related to disordered autonomic nervous function, which is your you know, um, the other nerves in the body which control our basic functions of the bowel, the gut motility, to some extent, the stomach emptying and the blood pressure control. And that gets very disordered. Some of that is exacerbated or can be treated by manipulating the uh, the hormone that controls the salt and water balance in the body. Which you said before is called, can well, you remind the me? The hormone is called aldosterone and the artificial one is fludrocortisone. And a little bit of fludrocortisone sometimes can help people with POTS. Or POTS-like symptoms. Often patients don't fulfill the full criteria for POTS.
1: And don't necessarily show positive on the POTS testing.
2: Exactly. But they have very characteristic symptoms of increased rate, phase or resting heart rate. They stand up, they feel dizzy, the blood pressure falls, yeah. the palpitations. So it's all part of this. And they get worsening IBS-like symptoms.
1: And, and is this something that you can detect on on testing?
2: No, no. Yeah, I mean, if it's very bad, you would put a pot. It but it's just clinical history, and if you know which questions to ask, then you you can tease this this history out of, out of it. So it's all part of the whole, uh, you know, whole lot of uh, symptoms that long COVID and post-viral can present with. So, so it's a true multi-system um, disease. So
0: this symptoms you just described, the IBS, the dizziness, I get it fluctuates. So I've had it yesterday and the day before, but for a few weeks I was fine. Do you know why we have these kind of remitting uh, and relapsing symptoms?
2: Not uh, definitely, but often there is sometimes there's something we've been doing a little bit more that's just tipped us over sometimes. So that can be, we've tried to do a little bit more, we've had a couple of excursions or outings or visits to organize or bit of stress for something that's made people just, you know, on their fine balance of their energy allowance, just tip them over a bit. And then the symptoms will come back relapse. What patients have to do with time is they learn to sort of ride those relapses and the crashes out. And they just become more confident and say, right, I know, I'm just going to take level back calm down and I know that in two, three, four days I'm going to come out of it again and we can start the recovery. The recovery is very much a case of two steps forward and one, one and a half backwards. It's very rarely it's it's a bumpy road but it's the trend that is um, important you start seeing improvement.
1: And are you seeing um, patients recover?
2: Oh yes. Yes, yes. Yes, the vast majority of patients can recover.
1: And you've seen that in your
2: in your treatment? Yes, oh, yes. I'd say 95 percent of people recover. Wow. The, the question is the time, and it takes 6 to 12 months, usually, to see a significant improvement. So patients have to first understand that. There's no way you can just have a course of treatment, which is what everybody wants. Give me some treatment, bam, and then in a couple of weeks I'm back to, back to normal. No, that's absolutely not going to happen. But with this careful, graded, uh, we have you know fairly regular monitoring, not obsessive, but every couple of months, whenever patients want. But generally, we find that every two months a follow-up appointment to reassess matters, and then they make a you know definite, marked improvement.
1: Oh, that's fantastic! (laughs) That's
0: really no, that's why it
2: is. It's a rewarding treatment. It's a complicated disease, and it's got a lot of things to consider. But yeah. Yeah, getting people better, you know, from a point of virtually zero to ninety five percent is is very rewarding.
0: I actually found this particular interview really encouraging more than some of the more kind of out there, grandiose researchers who are doing really cutting edge stuff. This takes everything back to basics, old school medicine do this, do this, do this. Let's check all your levels. Have lots of vitamin D, take some magnesium, uh, vitamin B12 and rest. Yeah. And we may get out of this. And I found that really helpful, and really encouraging. I really enjoy speaking to Paul.
1: Yeah. And maybe that's what we have to focus on. I know that you and I are constantly searching for that magic bullet because that is essentially what we're trying to bring people. We're trying to find that find that person who's got that cure but uh for now i'm just going to focus on all of those little tweaks that i can make to try and recover join us next week as we hear others experiences of long covid share your stories and questions at tlcsessions.net follow us on twitter and instagram for the latest updates And if you found this interesting, please do subscribe.